0: Hello, and welcome back to KHN's What the Health. I'm your host, Julie Rodner, Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News. I'm joined by some of the best and smartest health reporters in Washington. We're here to bring you the latest in news about health policy from the White House, Capitol Hill, federal agencies, and the states. We're taping today at 10.15 a.m. Thursday, February 14th. As always, news happens fast, and things might have changed by the time you hear this. So, here we go. Today, we are joined by Joanne Cannon of Politico. Hello, ladies. Rebecca Adams of CQ Roll Call. Good morning. And Paige Winfield Cunningham of The Washington Post. Happy Valentine's Day. And our weekly reminder, if you want to see us as well as hear us, an edited version of the podcast is now on the cable channel Newsy at 11 a.m. every Sunday. So we're going to change things up a little bit today. Since the debate is already well underway, I thought we would do a deep dive into Medicare for all, including its history and politics after our discussion. We'll do our extra credits as usual. And since we are taping on Valentine's Day, we have a special surprise if you listen to the end. So Medicare for all. I want to start by talking about Medicare itself, because I think there are lots of misconceptions about what it does and doesn't cover. Uh, You know, people seem happy with
1: it, but it's
0: not the world's most generous program, right? (laughs) Rebecca? Rebecca?
1: It definitely is, and it doesn't cover all of the costs that seniors have. You'll hear this a lot if you talk to older people who are on the program. Um, Just for the outpatient program, there is a small deductible every year, $185. There is... um, their premiums, which are $1,620. And then if you actually get And more get if sick, you
0: earn more money.
1: Yes, exactly right. Yes. Because they added that during the 2003 prescription drug law. So, um, and then if you actually get sick, then it's something like $1,364 every time you go into the hospital. So this all adds up. You see that a, a big percentage of a lot of American Social Security checks go to Medicare. And so when people talk about Medicare for all they sort of think of it as this free health care, which it might be. Sort of, is. Sort of is. Part uh, A
0: is free if you work long enough and at a social security a job where you pay social security taxes.
1: Yes, but you still have to plan for those health care costs.
0: So, what should we know about? What else should we know about Medicare as it exists today?
1: It doesn't come long. It does not cover long
2: term care, which is one of the big surprises. People uh, do not quite. Under, not do not quite understand it. They do not understand it. It covers some skilled nursing uh, care for a limited period of time, but it does not cover grandma's nursing home or home home based alternative. Um, Medicaid does for some people who qualify poor people or people have used up their assets. Medic, that's probably the biggest misconception. Medicare does not cover long-term care. Long-term care costs a lot of money. Well, I was just
3: talking to um, my grandparents actually a couple of weeks ago when they were talking about how they had purchased a separate plan for long-term care, but the premiums had actually gotten so high that they had decided to cut that off. But what a lot of people end up doing is they have to spend out their assets and then they end up getting that care through Medicaid. But that's a pretty big financial cost to them.
2: Basically, you have to wipe most of your assets out to qualify for Medicaid, and you can't transfer them to your kids and pretend that you've. Uh, there, there, are, there are rules against that, uh, unless you're okay, a really sure. good long-term planner. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Right. And, and one other thing is that traditional Medicare doesn't cover hearing or vision or dental, which is a big issue. Or foot
0: care, which is a big issue.
1: Yes. And so that's why we see more people choosing the Medicare Advantage private plans, which sometimes do cover those things. Which we'll and get have, to in a minute. <laughs> and have an out-of-pocket cost, which... Regular Medicare doesn't. That's
0: right. And we should point out, Joanne and I remember this, is that Medicare doesn't, unlike most private insurance, Medicare doesn't have a stop loss. If you get really sick, you pay 20 percent of your outpatient costs into perpetuity. It's not like there's a cap. There, there's no
2: catastrophic cap.
0: Yeah. Right. There there was one for about fifteen minutes. And... Which
1: we're not going to let Julie <laughs> digress on right now. We'll That's come right. back to it some other day. Yes. Right?
0: <laughs> you can you can go look up Medicare.
3: Memory lane.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and so a, a lot, lot of people s- shaking their canes on <laughs> well, so a Rocks lot of seniors
3: like there. by Medigap plans yes. then, right? Yes. What percentage is that? I forget. It's a pretty
2: high percentage high.
3: of seniors that end up supplementing yes. that. I that I want, before we, we should
2: also point out that we've just talked about a lot of things that are missing in Medicare. We should also point out that it has – that for lower-income people, there is additional help with these costs. They're called duals. They're Medicaid and Medicare.
0: And there's about 9 million
2: of them. Right. And we should also point out that for everything that we just said about Medicare, it has been (laughs) – it is a really important part of the social – safety net. It has made a huge difference in um, the lives of older Americans since its creation in 65. So we ju- we just listed a whole lot of things wrong with it. And I think going forward in this policy debate, it's really important for people to understand what it is and what it is not. But just because we did a little bit of Medicare bashing, it doesn't mean that it's not a program that has just helped
0: countless families. No. And, and we should point out that because of Medicare's shortfalls or whatever, that the things that Medicare does not cover... Most people uh, who are not on also on Medicaid have some sort of private insurance Medigap. that supplements their Medicare, either Medigap or Medicare Advantage. Why don't you, Joanne, what's Medigap?
2: It's an additional policy you buy to fill in the gaps
1: what Medicare doesn't cover. It has nothing to do with subways,
2: <laughs> and and
0: Medicare Advantage.
1: Medicare Advantage. These are the private plans that were expanded in the 2003 Drug Law, and about 34 percent of people on Medicare now use these plans, and
2: they're they're popular. I mean, they're more popular than people anticipated. The first go around of Medicare private plans in the earlier was called Medicare C. Medicare it Plus, plus choice, right? Yeah. Didn't do well. It really failed in rural areas. It wasn't that popular. It sort of fizzled, and then it, it, was, well, it wasn't
0: that generous. I mean, the, the deal right. with Medicare Advantage is basically Medicare gives you free. Of doctor and hospital, you can basically go to anyone, and almost everyone at this point takes Medicare. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and if you go into Medicare Advantage, it's more like the managed care plans that most of us are used to. You know, you have to be in network. Mm-hmm. Most Medicare Advantage plans don't cover out of network care, they cover it on a very limited basis. So your deal is they'll pay your premiums and deductibles usually. Sometimes you have to pay a premium. But there's very few out-of-pocket costs with Medicare Advantage, but you are limited in who you can see. That is the trade-off. Right. But, it is, but it
2: is way more proper than anticipated. I mean, particularly after the ACA and some changes over the last few years, there was an anticipation that the growth would slow and it, it didn't. And, well, part and of it... People I, like it.
3: Yeah, I think part of it is it's very... People that have been in employer-sponsored coverage their whole lives, they're familiar with that type of insurance. They're familiar with how having to make sure your provider's in network. so Yeah, I mean, there's, a a, there's people, been a generational shift, I feel exactly. like. Exactly. So it's like a smooth transition for a lot of people. It feels comfortable. And some them.
2: people are forced into it by, I mean, like um, my mother was a retired state employee in New Jersey, and she had regular Medicare and with supplemental coverage through her as a retiree, and they put her in Medicare Advantage. And um, she has an mm. MPH. She's a medical sociologist. I still had to spend, we've had to spend a lot of time discussing the differences and with her it wasn't a choice and it's fine it's a ppo she's got she's, she can still see her providers mm-hmm. um. She blames it on Governor Christie, but that, too, is a digression we do not have to go into
3: right I will say Republicans love Medicare Advantage. Like, they love talking about what a success it's been because I think to them it's a great example of how, like, the government can interact with private industry to provide coverage for people.
0: But just before we get into sort of our Medicare role, I wanted to to make make a point that, yeah, there's an awful lot of private insurance involved in Medicare now. Plus, there are private insurance companies that basically process all of the billing for regular Medicare, for traditional Medicare. Medicare, too. So, there, so there's private insurance all through the there's Medicare program. There's a visible
2: and invisible role of private insurers that I think some of the general public talking about single payer and ending private insurance do not understand how much private insurance is involved. Uh, Medicare Advantage Medicare drug benefits, as well as the Medicare, the the various kind of supplemental plans, and There's, we didn't even, and we didn't mention
0: of... Medicare drug benefits. That's private also, and you have to enroll mm-hmm. in it
1: separately. That's true, and it's not only true for Medicare; it's also true for Medicaid. Sixty eight percent of people in Medicaid are in comprehensive risk plans. So, and others are other plans, that's of, right? Yeah, and others are in other kinds of managed care
0: plans. Yeah, so. so, lots of private insurance in Medicare. Um, so, let's back up a little bit and talk about some semantics because a lot of people use the phrases Medicare for all. And single payer and universal coverage as synonyms, but they're really not all the same things. What what are kind of some of the differences? Well,
3: universal coverage is that's like the overarching goal. When you talk to de, whenever I talk to Democrats on the Hill and trying to kind of understand how they're thinking differently about expanding Medicare, the one thing they all say to me is we're unified around this goal of universal coverage and where we're at in meaning this everybody has health, insurance. meaning everybody, everybody has, has health.
2: affordable health coverage, right? It? Implicit, of, so yeah, they have it has to be affordable. You can't. It's not accessed. It's getting actually getting covered.
3: Right, right. And so, um, right. And so, like, um, you know, you can talk about sort of overhauling the entire system, which we'll talk about when we discuss this, some of the the, uh, the, the Jivel plan that's coming out. But a lot of more moderates are in favor of just trying to close the existing gap. So what? What's our uninsured rate now? We're at like 10 percent, you no, know, higher. eight, nine higher yeah. 11, or 12, about, 12, yeah, 12. 12 or 13 yeah yeah which actually in progress on reducing that has has notably stalled in recent years um it's about 28 million people I yeah, think. yeah so a lot so a lot of the conversation the way to think about this is is you know do you, how do you close that gap with with 28 uh, million people but i think that's one thing that democrats do have going for them is versus versus republicans in their repeal replace efforts is i think democrats do share this overall arching goal of we should reach universal coverage whereas republicans were never really unified on exactly like what that
2: what the landscape should look like but sure. there's it's an ends and means argument people are using them as synonyms single payer medicare for all and and universal coverage as page as page said people are using them interchangeably universal coverage is the ends getting everybody covered medicare for all or me, whatever you call it or a single plan a single payer plan are both ends or means, means one of many means to covering to getting to universal coverage. Medicare for all is a form of single payer. You could have forms of single payer that are not Medicare. So it's confusing, but the the basic thing is Medicare for all and single payer are both ways of setting up a system that achieves universal coverage. There are other countries' Um, And there are other blueprints in this country to achieve universal coverage without Medicare for all. And we are going to be hearing a lot about this fight for quite a few years to come.
3: And the other thing people mix up is this idea of a public option, which is sort Mm -hmm. of another. So some of the plans um, that we'll talk about, like this Medicaid for all, would basically introduce a public option into the marketplaces. And that should be distinguished, of course, from the idea of single payer, because with public option, you're just talking about like a government backed plan among many private insurance options as well. So there are lots lots
0: and lots of different ways
3: and to and do it. And I'm this.
2: not sure how well we just explained it all if we lived up everybody as <laughs> confused as they were. But there's lots of terminology which people are not clear about either in their own minds or how they speak about it. And that is and we will have to come back to this and help break yes. this down over and over again both as writers in our own jobs and on this podcast because this is a really complicated and important national debate in terms of policy and politics. The fact that people are mushing up, which is I think that most appropriate word I can think of these terms and not really having clarity about people people are talking at each other thinking they're talking about the same thing when they're not so um, this sort of be We're going to have to help untangle that. We'll get better at it as we do it again. I think one of the other
0: big points of confusion is that people talk about every other country has single-payer systems, and that's really not true. Every other country has – first of all, most countries, most other sort of developed countries uh, have – Systems that are different from each other. Um, there's very few countries that have you know plans that are even all that similar. They they do it in different ways, but every single other country has a role for private insurance, right?
2: Some little, some big. And our colleague Sarah Cliff, I think Julie's going to put this um, straight up on the website later. Sarah did a really good job looking at. Um, the role of private insurance around the world. And it exists in different forms,
1: very different forms in different countries, but it exists everywhere. <laughs> I remember on a reporting trip many years ago, I was surprised to hear that there were private insurers in Canada, and I was surprised to hear that benefits vary by province. So there is a lot of variation. I mean, in England, there's private insurance. Which I think
0: that was a bigger. I under Canada is sort of the Medicare that Medicare for all. The way it's being talked about is kind of modeled on Canada, which is. Confusingly, or not called Medicare in Canada, um, but it is you know government provided, but uh, I mean government paid, but privately provided the way Medicare is. The, the you know our hospitals don't belong to the government, and doctors don't work for the government, but the but the government pays the bills, and that's that's it's a public sector
2: check for a private sector provider. Right.
0: Whereas in England, it really is a public sector check for a public sector provided. Yeah, you work for, the, yeah, national you work for the National Service. Health Service. And yet even England has private insurance yes. because there are things that the National Health Service in, in England doesn't cover. And I,
2: I believe, one of you can correct me that if I'm wrong, this may be out of date information, but I believe that Canada doesn't cover prescription drugs. Is yes. that
0: still yeah, the case, I, right? I think it varies from... from it among, varies. Yeah. From yeah. Province, province. To
1: province. Some province do. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. So some of them don't. And you can buy insurance for prescription drugs, drugs, and people do. Maybe they import
2: them from the United States.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other subject. All right. Well, it feels like Medicare for All started with Bernie Sanders and his unsuccessful run for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2016. At least that's, you know, most people date it back to 2016. But this idea, as well as Sanders support for it, I might add, actually goes back several decades. I recently unearthed then Congressman Sanders' support for Medicare for All bill that was introduced in 1993. But wasn't it
2: 1955 or something? Oh. Wasn't the original Dingle bill back John in Yes, Dingle. yes, yes. Right. The, original, that's
0: right. the original John Dingle was John Dingle's father back during the New Deal. It was the one thing that they couldn't get done when they were doing Social Security. Um, but I wanted to talk about sort of what's different in the debate. Now than it was either in 2009 when they were doing the Affordable Care Act and there was a big single payer push, or in 1993 during the Clinton you know health push that didn't happen when there was also a big single payer push. Are we, have we reached sort of a tipping point in this debate? I mean, it's always it's been- part of the
2: dialogue. It's not part of the fringe. That doesn't mean that it's going to pass this year or next year or the year after or the year after that. But it is. Um, and and what. And it may never pass in the form that some people are talking about it, but it is part of the political dialogue in a way that we have not seen. And it may it, – it, we don't know how it's going to, evolve, going to evolve. There may be a bigger role for Medicare and public plan, various kinds of government-funded plans and government-funded options. There may be a number of variants that are short of the Bernie Sanders vision of Medicare for All, which I should quickly add is not opening the current Medicare system to everybody. It's a whole new system he would call Medicare. So so where it goes, we don't know. Is it part of the discussion? Is it shaping how people think? Um, Is it being listened to? In a, in a way we have not seen before. Yes, it is not going to become law tomorrow.
1: I think it's interesting when you think about the the Obamacare debate. Um, they had a really tough time getting support for a public option. It ultimately didn't pass because of people like Joe Lieberman and ben I think Nelson. because of Joe Lieberman. <laughs> yes, maybe Ben and, Nelson. <laughs> exactly. And so you know that was not the same thing that that Senator Sanders is talking about. That was just you know, just a, a plan alongside other plans that people would have an option in the exchange to buy in the exchange. And so the idea of shifting everyone in America to a new system and getting rid of employer sponsored coverage and private marketing coverage, it's it's just an incredible idea. You know, it would it would be a huge feat and it would there are so many practical well, questions. There were some have to versions that
0: would have it done in a year.
1: <laughs> the house version last yeah. time when Keith Ellison was sponsoring it, yes. Um and the the Bernie Sanders version like, last time would be anything. Done years. Here. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, we, well, th- we even even with four a four year transition like Senator Sanders is calling for, that's pretty amazing. I mean, think about us moving the Medicaid expansion and changing a little part of the private insurance market th- as we did through Obamacare. They did that in three and a half years, and, and it look was a at mess. What happened? It was just incredible. They, they couldn't, couldn't get the website. computer working exactly. right. So
2: it was it and, and it was a mess, and it was confusing, and it was controversial, and this is bigger. And this is way bigger. I will say, like, I think what has changed and
3: I, I wasn't like watching all of this in the 90s, obviously, but um, like we have huge expensive drugs uh, that have come online since then. We have an aging population um and i think healthcare costs people are more worried about healthcare costs than they were perhaps back in the 90s and that might be kind of feeding into like why people seem to be more receptive possibly to this idea um but to what you two were saying um you know overhauling the system of employer sponsored coverage i mean like a lot of people have pointed out if you really want to transform our system, even like to folks on the right, like you should remove the employer tax break and you should just completely, you know, uh, rely on the free market and yada, yada. But there I mean, that's just completely like out of the question. So I think it's same on the left where it's, it's like what this 160
0: idea of million people that get their insurance. Yeah. Through, yeah, about half of by Americans em- And we yeah. should point yeah. out
2: that the other half of Americans who are covered, um, not the uninsured, obviously, but they uh, they do have some form of some variance of yes. single-payer government-funded, whether it's through Medicare, whether it's through Medicaid, whether it's through the VA, whether it's through TRICARE, whether it's through Indian Health Service. Am I missing anything? Their That's Children's Health Program, which <laughs> is part of Medicaid. But um, they all rely on private insurers. They all have a role for private insurers, but... Not we, so much the VA, but... Well, no, not the yeah. VA. But, but, but they have... The, the, that we do have... For, for people who say, I don't want government-run health insurance, keep the government out of health care... Government is in healthcare yeah, in really popular programs that the people who are saying get the government out of healthcare probably rely on or, or their like relatives do. The, it's and, and without necessarily understanding that it's government run. Right,
3: the voters that say get the government off my Medicare, <laughs> right, yeah. away right. from my Medicare, <laughs> right. So that we already
2: have a mixed system. We ha- what we have is we have more of both in each side. We have more private insurance in our public policies than the left seems mm-hmm. to understand, and we have more government. In our healthcare system overall, reasonably successfully in terms of how many people are covered and what we do with it and what we've achieved partially in over the last 60 years, 55 years, whatever, since 1965, I, um, you know, we, there's a bigger government role than the right chooses to acknowledge. So, I mean, one of the problems is, you know, people just... Don't listen to this loudcast enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk. Hey, let's let's talk for a minute about the continuum of what's on the table. I mean, let's start with with the, the Medicare for all. You were saying we're going to we're going to see the new version next week. Is yeah, that
3: the... it should be the week after next. Congress is out next week, but they'll be they'll be coming back after that. And so, um, a couple, I, myself and some other health reporters caught Representative Giapel yesterday on the Hill, and she said, "And this so, is,
0: this is the, the the sponsor of the right." What, so used this, to be the Sanders bill. The exactly. House. Yeah.
3: So she is releasing what she told us was going to be a 150-page bill. So much, much more detailed than – there was actually a version um, in the House, um, but, but it was more of like an out six-page outline. Um, she had actually planned to roll out the legislation this week, but I heard that she wasn't able to get as many co-sponsors. She wanted at least 100 on it to kind of have this big grand rollout. And so they said they're very close to getting that number. And so I think the plan is um, a week from next Tuesday so – so the twenty sixth to do some kind of big rollout, um, which is
2: the same day as the pharmaceutical executives are testifying. Actually, that'll, it is. That's going to be, be a, a <laughs> oh, that's going to be a a huge day. <laughs> day on the Hill. My goodness.
3: Um, but um, but you know, this I think, Joanne, you said earlier, basically this this is being called Medicare for all, but this actually would transform the Medicare system into something much more generous. It sounds like under it's a what whole she's new thing. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been told that mental health care, long term care, will be in it, and then a whole slew of other things. She wants to add in dental coverage, uh, prenatal care, um, you know, a lot of other benefits a- and, and also is proposing and no, no premiums
0: and no
2: copays.
3: No, right? Yeah, exactly. No, And no a lot of details
2: cost. up to HHS. So and yep. it also assumes that you can negotiate prices that will make it pay for, you know, there are a lot of assumptions still.
3: What's interesting is is uh, on the budget committee, but actually there are a number of other members on budget that have also introduced sort of competing proposals, um, and so which are much less aggressive. Um, so we saw, I think, Medicare for America, which from Schakowsky and Rosa DeLauro, and that would um, like basically preserve the existing system of employer-sponsored coverage but also expand Medicare, allowing people to buy into that if they wish to. Um, And then um, Representative Higgins has the Medicare for 50 bill as well, which a number of members rolled out yesterday. And that would essentially
2: expand eligibility for the program down to age 50. But it's a buy-in. It's not a coverage. There'd be sort of two tiers of Medicare. Right. You could buy in including taking your ACA credits buy-in.
1: And you would do it through the exchange. right? So there
2: are lots of variants of these bills, and there will probably be more before we're done. And it, it can be confusing to keep the details um, straight, because I think there are eight or nine proposals already. Um, but I think basically we can divide them sort of somewhat crudely into two categories. One is a total revamp of American health care, creating something called Medicare, which is not the same thing as the current Medicare, and moving everybody into that. Um, and if within a couple of years, different bills have different timetables. So that's the Medicare for all, with which isn't really what we now think of as Medicare. And then there's a whole bunch of other... Um, variants of opening up Medicare as an alternative to everybody or as an alternative for people over buying over 50. There's some Medicaid buy-in proposals. So those are Medicaid, various kinds of Medicare expansions. It's what the politically it's being, it's the Medicare for more versus the Medicare for all, which is one of several debates going
1: on. And and there are even some differences between the Sanders bill and what we're expecting in the House. I mean, Sanders would keep a part of Medicaid going to c- take care of long-term care, while the House version would, would not do that. Um, but I think that one thing that is unifying for all of these bills is that they are opposed by industry because – Providers don't want the disruption. They don't want to be paid less. And I think that they're getting over that political hurdle is going to be an enormous challenge for all of these things. Um, I think it also is going to be a big distinguishing factor between the 2020 Democratic presidential contenders, because we've seen a lot of the folks on on the left, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, you know, all of the folks who are progressives, um, they have endorsed the Sanders bill while also saying that they support the Medicare buy-ins and other things. While people like Amy Klobuchar and and Shera Brown in particular has been a little more cautious. I mean, he got a lot of flack in Iowa recently because activists were saying, why don't you support Medicare for all? So he hasn't yet announced, but we expect him to be. And his
2: answer there. is because I've been in Congress for 25 years and I know what I can achieve is right. basically Right, yeah, basically. I, I fought right. these battles. Yes. <laughs> right, because, you know, it's funny to see him not, as labeled as someone who's not a progressive because those of us who've watched him for many years who've yes. actually thought of him as sort of quite progressive. Yes. Um, but the times change. <laughs> But,
3: yeah, industry, I think a number of us have reported on how they formed this, like, part, what they're calling Partnership for America's Healthcare Future Mm -hmm. last summer, and they're trying to be pretty aggressive and out front. They've rolled out some ad buys this year, and uh, they really see this as, like, the next big threat. Now that they sort of batted back the repeal replace efforts, now, like, on the left, they see this as pretty threatening because, you know, we haven't noted that Medicare does reimburse providers at about 40% less than private insurers. So, and what's interesting is that, like, when i've talked to folks with this partnership they're they don't even seem open to like anything incremental i mean any you say but any kind of medicare expansion they're they're pretty much opposed to
2: and we should say that it's pretty much every sector who even groups that sectors in the healthcare sector that are fighting with each other about other aspects of healthcare such as drug prices um, are or you know who's going to pay for the surprise bill problem, a solution, Um, they're united on fighting this. So they've already gotten very well organized. Um, Not every – there is some division of opinion among physicians and nurses and other individual providers. Not every Mm -hmm. uh, medical group is – as opposed there's most of the establishment groups are pretty opposed, but there is a growing and somewhat some of it is generational. The even younger in, doctors,
0: yeah, even in the American Medical Association, yeah,
2: um, I mean, there's some of them are fed up with a lot of. You know, they're fed up with a lot of things in healthcare too, and they're ready for something uh, more dramatic to change. And,
0: of course, in California, this is being pushed by the nurses. Yes. They're sort of the, the lead, you know.
2: Whoever, uh, in that particular union, is not known for its appreciation of incremental steps. <laughs> um, you know, they were one of the reasons why the Schwarzenegger Plan, uh, which was a lot like what Massachusetts had, which was back in, I think, 2008, 2009, uh, that didn't go through partly because of the California nurses. Um, so I, when we talk about the the sort of monolithic opposition, from the industry it is monolithic it is already well organized it is a, a a coalition that is only going to get more organized but I think we do need to note that among physicians and some of the physicians group there's a, they're not as solid rock solid against all of these proposals
0: and again because the proposals vary and I, and I think you know another way to do de- I don't think,
2: think it depends on their zip code yeah
0: that too, that too <laughs> but I think I think what um one of the ways to think about this is not as the role not Partly is how much of a transition, how much of a big change there would be to the health, you know, basically the, the healthcare system in the United States, but also will there be a role for private insurance? Mm-hmm. I think we, we've already seen this, Kamala Harris, when, you know, she was asked, it's like, yeah, no, let's get yes. rid of private insurance, you know, because people hate it. That was sort of the.
2: Right. But it's also like the healthcare is a fifth of our economy. So uh, there are a lot of people who work in the healthcare center, some of whom are not, you know, neurosurgeons making a million dollars. There's a lot of, you know, pink collar people and, um, you know, clerical and processing people. And I mean, there's a huge amount of dislocation that is not, I mean, it it was brought up a little bit during the 2016. And I mean, I I heard a few people even just back during the the Bernie Hillary days, there was some discussion that I don't, I haven't heard a solution for that. I mean, there's a lot of people whose lives would be shaken up. Mm
3: I think like uh, you've also seen like opposition from some of the left-leaning think tanks and activists to this idea of a sweeping Medicare for all. Um, You saw Andy Slavitt, former administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services under Obama, actually has endorsed the Medicare 50 bill, I believe. And so I think underlying all of this, there's kind of a real fear among um, healthcare advocates on the left that Democrats could appear too extreme on this issue. And then kind of lose the chance to make some of these more incremental changes that could get us closer to universal coverage?
2: Right. I mean, there's there's a difference. You hear a lot of the word aspirational comes up a lot. There are a lot of people um, in the Democratic Party who like the idea of single payer Medicare for whatever, whatever terminology we end up using for it, but don't think you can get there in a year, two years, three years, four years. They don't think you can get there practically and they don't think you can get there politically. And in the meantime, they and I've even heard some of the Medicare for All people say, we, we, this doesn't mean we don't shore up the ACA in the meantime. It doesn't mean we don't work on pre-existing conditions. It doesn't mean we don't work on surprise bills. It doesn't mean we don't work on drug costs. That even the most um, passionate believers in Medicare for All fast – understand it is not 30 seconds from now. And they, they are, in fact, there was hearings this week in the House on how do you shore up some of the ACA. There are multiple tracks going on here. And one of the things that Democrats have to figure out is how to balance this aspirational versus pragmatic without killing each other.
0: All right. Well, this debate is going to go on and on and on, but I'm going to stop ours here. I don't
2: mean literally killing <laughs> each other. But, um. <laughs> I know. I hope that helps people who
0: feel a little lost in the Medicare for all debate. And I promise we will do this again because I'm sure we'll need to do it several
2: times and we'll get better at explaining it because it's actually it's difficult and it's, it's also hard to explain it without having everybody get mad at you because if you say there's not common definitions you get a lot of people yelling at you, yes, there are, but it's their definition that they assume is the common definition. So,
0: All right. Well, now it is time for our extra credit segment. That's where we each suggest a story we read the past week. We think others should read, too. Don't worry if you miss it. We will post the links to these stories on the podcast page at khn.org. Who wants to go first this week? Paige? Yeah. So I have a stat news
3: story um,
0: called The
3: Big Pharma Candidate. As he runs for president, Cory Booker looks to shake his reputation for drug industry coziness. And this is by Love Thatcher. And um, it was just a really interesting story. I actually didn't know very much about Cory Booker. I knew that he was a, a, a you know had received many contributions from the industry. Because he's um, from
0: New Jersey, which right. is where many of the drug companies are headquartered.
3: Right. Exactly. And so this story is just kind of detailing um, the opposition that he faced. And he met with some protesters um, uh, back in in, um, 2017 and actually had made a decision to stop accepting contributions from the industry, which is a huge loss in funding for him, but so a pretty bold move. Um, And then some of those questions that he's going to face as he uh, undergoes his presidential bid. So it was a really good uh, look at just the calculations that democrats running for president have to make as they're kind of balancing you know and he made the point like a lot of people the, in the his politics district, of this are harder than they look they're difficult yeah and it, he said like well a lot of people in my district are employed by the pharmaceutical industry so that but um but also the optics of it are increasingly bad as people were worried about the high drug costs so it's a really good story rebecca
1: So um, I got something from the Texas Tribune. Thousands of Texans were shocked by surprise medical bills. Their request for help overwhelmed the state. And surprise medical bills have become a big issue in part because of the media coverage led by Kaiser Health News and others. And so people have been talking quite a bit about these bills that – people get when they assume that providers are in-network and then later find out that they're out-of-network. And Texas moved forward to try to take care of this. They passed some laws in 2015 and 2017, and the number of people who signed up for for mediation moved from 43 people to now more than 4,000, and they expect it's going to be 8,000 this year, and the state was just not prepared. And so... This is a little bit about, just a slice about one state's efforts and how difficult it can be to deal with this issue. And
0: if this story sounds familiar, it's a follow-up to my extra credit from last week um, from KUT, the public radio station in Austin, about a person with a surprise bill in Texas who tried to use the Texas law and discovered that it's really complicated and there's a really long waiting list. So I was glad to see the Texas Tribune
2: sort of follow up on that part of the previous story. And I think the Texas legislature is actually going to take another look at it. They actually were ahead of the curve in, in doing something about surprise bills a few years ago, but obviously they have not solved the problem. Clearly. Joanne. Okay. I also have a stat story. Uh, the Modern Tragedy of Fake Cancer Cures by Matt Herper. And there was a piece um, that I had actually noticed online in the Jerusalem Post with a company announcing that they were going to cure all cancer in a year. Um, I am a policy reporter, not a science reporter, but I know enough science to know that this this story almost gave me a stroke. And um uh, you know, a couple of mice had done okay on something and this company announced they were going to cure all cancer in a year. And, um, and you know, Matt writes in this article about A, what was wrong with, you know, the reporting and B, how it really creates false hopes and false expectations. He did a very good down of a very bad piece of journalism. His is good, but right.
0: <laughs> well, yes, and mine is sort of, uh, along the same lines. It's from Yahoo News. It's by Katie A. Tubman. It's called What Trump Got Wrong About Right to Try. And it's about the president touting at his rally in Texas this week how proud he is of legislation he endorsed and signed aimed at making it easier for people with terminal illnesses to obtain experimental drugs. Um, he said, quote, people are getting better that we're thinking they were going to die. Except, as the story points out, in the nine months since this has been law, apparently only two patients have been able to obtain these experimental drugs. Uh, as we have discussed, here before. The FDA has long had ways to grant permission for use of these drugs. The holdup hasn't been so much the FDA as the reluctance of drug companies to provide them, which this law didn't really address. And a shout out to Joanne's reporter, uh, Sarah Carlin Smith at Politico, who first pointed out that only two patients have used the law to get drugs when Trump bragged about the law in his State of the Union address also.
2: Real time. Real time.
0: (laughs) All right. So finally this week, since we are taping on Valentine's Day, a nod to Twitter's health policy, Valentine's, originated by friend of the pod Emma Sando in 2012. There are clever ones being posted all this week, which you can find by searching health policy valentine. Sorry, hashtag health policy valentines. But we're going to go around the table with our favorite so far. I will start. Mine is from my colleague at the Kaiser Family Foundation, Ashley Kurtzinger, And it's right on point for our discussion. It says roses are red. They can also be pink. Giving people information about Medicare for all changes what they think, which is a (laughs) reference to the, the uh, Cancer Family Foundation poll from a couple of weeks ago that pointed out that when you told people they might have to you know, lose their private health insurance, they're not so excited about Medicare for All. Uh, Paige, what's your Yeah,
3: so before I give mine, I have to, to sort of explain this. Um, so we've already talked about Medicare for for All, obviously a very sweeping bill, but then this other bill called Medicare for America, which has been introduced by Schakowsky and Delara, which would basically retain pr- employer-sponsored but expand Medicare dramatically. So health policy blogger uh, Andrew Sprung tweets this Valentine Medicare for all is your fantasy lover. Medicare for America could get everyone covered. So I thought that
1: was clever.
0: <laughs> Rebecca.
1: So I liked um, Jonathan Cohn's. Health policy Valentine. Uh, he's a reporter. He says, My love for you is neither short term nor limited duration, which is a reference to the Trump administration's policy. We should
2: also say he's a happily married reporter. Yes.
1: And um, I also <laughs> like Joanne's. I, I was trying to get Joanne's, but she beat me to it. <laughs> okay.
2: I don't know how to pronounce the name. I apologize. Colin Balio, who is, I know his work. He's a health policy guy in New Mexico. And he tweeted, It's the prices, Cupid. <laughs>
0: Which, of course, is, is a very inside health policy joke, reference to, to Uva Reinhardt, the late Uva Reinhardt, um, rather rather famous study uh, of why we pay more in the United States. It's not because we consume more health care. It's because health care providers charge more for it. And the title of that was It's the Price is Stupid. <laughs> so it's the Price is Cupid.
2: Yes. I can't top that. Very cute.
0: <laughs> all right. That is our show. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also appreciate it if you left us a review on on iTunes. That helps other people find us too. Also, as usual, you can email us your questions or comments. We're at health all one word, at kff.org. Or you can tweet me. I'm at jrovner.
3: PW underscore Cunningham. <laughs> at Rebecca Adams
0: DC. At Joanne Cannon. We'll be back in your feed next week. In the meantime, be healthy.